So we're moving uh, more into the um, next period in the life of the Lord Jesus today. And the title in our program of talks um, for um, our subject today is The Saviour's Big Mission. So although everything that we've looked at so far has been extremely important, um, we're at the point where it really is going to get exciting because this is what he came for. Our passage starts in Luke chapter 4 and we're going to be reading from verse 38. And as I read um, the passage, see if you can spot some of the clues to the Saviour's big mission. I think there are at least seven that I'm going to be talking about um, this morning. So Luke chapter 4, and I'm reading from verse 38. <clears throat> Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of illness. And laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Chapter 5, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding round him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asking him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Now you know the story on how this one unfolds, unfolds the miraculous um, catch of fish. If we just drop down to verse 8, for the sake of time, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. <clears throat> if the first 30 years of the Lord's life were a, a preparation for his public ministry, then when that time finally came, he didn't waste any time in getting started. Over the last two weeks, uh, we've thought about his transition into public life, haven't we? And last week, how he presented himself um, as the Messiah to what should have been a friendly audience, his own hometown, the people who knew him well, his own community. And we know that he was firmly and violently rejected, wasn't he? 
And overcome with fear and self-doubt, he retreated into obscurity and he was never heard from again. And as one of the great preachers that I remember when I was growing up, a man, you might have heard of him, Mr. Jamer Winnie. I'm not going to try and do his accents, but his response to something like that was that he did no such thing because he was just getting started. Now, we heard last week that he went to Capernaum to commence his ministry, which, as Luke says at the beginning of his other best-selling book, The, uh, the Acts of the Apostles, um, that ministry involved doing and teaching. Now, the Gospels are filled with lots of lovely stories about the things that the Lord Jesus did, but we need to keep in mind that his big mission didn't have anything to do with healing people, not not really. And he didn't come to be just another, another teacher. In fact, the verses that we read last week are probably the best appetite wetter as to what would be his big mission. Remember the verses we read in Luke 4, the actual words that Jesus read in the synagogue of Nazareth? He read from the prophet Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. You know, when we appreciate that the whole world is blinded and oppressed and held captive because of sin, then we can see the scope of that prophecy from Isaiah is absolutely vast, isn't it? His mission wasn't about healing, but he did do a lot of healing. Because his miracles were primarily to endorse his credentials as the Messiah and the Son of God. Uh, don't get me wrong, um, whenever Jesus healed um, anyone, there was always genuine love and compassion and a desire to to serve all of the different people that he, he came into contact with. But the higher purpose of the miracles of the Lord Jesus was to, to demonstrate his power so that people would better understand the authority behind his message. You see, if you look at verse 31 in chapter 4, you can see the crowds are amazed at his his teaching because his words had authority they said but if you look at verse 36 we can see that it was words along with power that got everyone talking about him verse 36 all the people were amazed and said to each other what words are these with authority and power he gives orders to impure spirits and they come out and the news about him was spread everywhere throughout the surrounding the surrounding area When did Jesus realise that um, what his big mission was actually going to be um, about? This was the question I was kind of asking a couple of weeks ago when I was um, speaking about the development of the Lord Jesus in his childhood and his early, early years. When did he realise that his purpose in life was not just to do good work serving his local community? When did he realise that he wasn't destined to become a teacher in his local synagogue or even in places like Jerusalem? When did he know that Isaiah was talking about him in his prophecy 
but that his purpose was not to organize a rebellion against the authority of Rome to overthrow, to, um, to, to release the captives, or even to get involved in any other aspect of the country's politics. When did he know these things? As I've said before, we don't know exactly when all this was revealed to the young Jesus, but we can be sure, fairly sure, that when he stood up um, to read that scroll in Nazareth, uh, he knew most of it, if, if, not, if not everything. So what clues did you pick up from that little reading before? What clues to his big mission did you spot in the passage? Let me just read a few of the verses once more, just as a clue to the clues. So in verse 40 of chapter 4, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of illness and he healed them all. Verse 41, the demon shouting, you are the son of God. Verse 42, the people were looking for him and they tried to keep him from leaving them. Verse 43, Jesus saying, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also. And then down in chapter 5, Simon Peter saw the miraculous catch of fish, and it says he fell at his knees, Jesus' knees, and saying, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. And then the final clue, I think, is in the words of the Lord Jesus to Simon, don't be afraid, from now on, you will fish for people. So seven clues, I suggest, we find to the Lord's big mission in the, passion, pa in the passage that we um, have read. Let's look at them in a little bit more detail. So the first one, Verses 39 to 40. I'm not going to reread all of the scriptures again, but if you've got your Bibles open, uh, chapter 4, verses 39 to 40, we see the first of the mass miracles, don't we? That Jesus would become known for over the, over the next three years. Jesus, the miracle worker. As I've already said, Jesus was displaying extraordinary power, wasn't he? in the miracles that he, he did. They weren't just clever tricks. They were extraordinary. And we can only conclude that extraordinary power must have an extraordinary purpose. And contrary to popular belief, there are people who think in, in the Christian world who believe that miracles are the evidence of the Holy Spirit really being with the believer and working in the person's life. I've seen sound bites that say miracles just aren't, on, you know, aren't, aren't just possible, they should be expected. But really, if you look over the whole of the history of God dealing with humankind, including the 1500 years of, 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 of the Bible, there are very, very few occurrences of miracles. Miracles are very, very rare in the Bible. Very few times in history where God has used miracles. Okay? They're not the way God normally works. But with Jesus, to endorse his credentials and the game-changer message that he was going to bring to the world, God made an exception. And in the life of the Lord Jesus we see a lot of miracles. And they are, I think, the first clue I'd like to suggest um, as an indication of his great mission, that God had given him great power in order to launch it. 
Second clue, verse 41, we have the testimony of demons. We wouldn't normally go to the other side, the enemies of Jesus, to look for anything helpful um, in terms of his message. But really, if, you're, if, if your enemies are, 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 um, are applauding you, then, then, then you've got to pay attention. And, and also, the other thing about the demons is that they did have spiritual insight more than the average Joe in the streets. They knew things. And although they may have, it would have certainly been in their interest to undermine the Lord Jesus and his message, they were compelled to speak out. And they declared, you are the Son of God. You know, this wasn't one mentally ill, um, deluded person saying this. Um, you know, it says there were many, many people um, declared that you are the Son of God. You know, demon possession and um, mental illness is associated in the Bible, but it's not the same thing. I think people who were affected and possessed by demons, mental illness was probably a consequence of, of that. Uh, you think of the man leave, you know, living out, in the, uh, you know, uh, out amongst the tombstones and the effect of, you know, of, of, of people like on, you know, the man known as Legion. Um, you know, the, there was that effect. But keep in mind that in the days of the Lord Jesus, supernatural powers seemed to be especially active, probably a reaction, a satanic reaction to the big mission that the Lord Jesus had come to do. Thirdly, verse 41, we see the Lord Jesus had self-awareness um, of his identity. He knew he was the son of God. He knew that he was the Messiah. He doesn't rebuke the demons for the error of what they had said because he knew it was true. It was just the timing that he, that, that, that he was um, objecting to. Because the Lord Jesus seemed also to have um, knowledge of the timescale for his mission. And as we can see on other occasions, he didn't want revelations about his identity and his purpose to provoke a response from the authorities before he was good and ready to take that head on. So the Lord Jesus, his self-awareness, Given to him by his father, another indication of the special purpose um, that he'd come into the world, his special mission. Uh, the fourth thing, um, it's clear from the crowd's reaction to his teaching that his words were dynamite, weren't they? They, 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 they were phenomenal. And the usual response, putting aside what happened in Nazareth, which the Lord Jesus explained was what you expect in your hometown if you're a prophet. The usual response was people wanting to hear more and wanting to, wanting to follow him and to do the things that he was saying. That was the response. We see um, in verse 42 that the crowds found him and they tried to prevent him from leaving. Now that wasn't a... Um, that, wasn't an, that wasn't evidence of hostility like he'd had in, in Nazareth when they grabbed hold of him. That's more like in John 6 where the Lord Jesus knew that they wanted to force him to become their king. This was, a, this was like you know, fans going crazy because they, 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 they just wanted what the Lord Jesus was offering. That's why he was on the boat, of course, wasn't it? A safe place in his little floating pulpit so he could speak to the crowds without them 
grabbing him and overcrowding him. Imagine today if one of our politicians drew that kind of popularity. You know, if they had that kind of popularity, they would be destined for great things, wouldn't they? Whatever their agenda was, Brexit or walls across Mexico or whatever it might be, whatever they wanted, they'd get it, wouldn't they? And they'd probably, in this country, they'd be in number 10 without any fears of a leadership challenge. You know, if they had that kind of popularity, they could achieve whatever mission they wanted. And I think the popularity of the Lord Jesus, even though he was delivering a hard message, is another evidence, another clue of the great mission that he come to do. Number five, um, the scope and the content of his message. Uh, in verse 43 of chapter 4, it's, uh, he says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, so huge message, to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So the Gospels tell us that the Lord Jesus went to many, many places. So his mission clearly was more than just the local towns close to, um, close to where he was brought up. It was bigger than that. And it was bigger than Galilee. I mean, Galilee was a Roman province. It was a first size. You know, if you were walking around Galilee, it would take you quite some time. And the Lord Jesus was, was preaching around Galilee. Capernaum was in Galilee. Lake Gennesaret, obviously, was in the region of Galilee. So the Lord Jesus, he saw his mission of that. But what we just read at the end of chapter 4 was that he's in Judea. Now, Judea was another Roman province right at the opposite end of Palestine. You've got Samaria, the province of Samaria, in the way. So you can see the Lord Jesus covering a huge geographical area and uh, without the benefit of a campaign bus. I think if our politicians had to walk everywhere, we'd see how far their message got. But the Lord Jesus, his message, his mission extended throughout the whole of the borders of what was effectively God's people, God's place at that time where his people lived. So, um, another, another clue, I think. Um, number six, we're, back in, we're down in chapter five now. Peter falls before the Lord Jesus, acknowledging his unworthiness. It's worship, isn't it? He recognises, he says, I'm a sinner. So it's not just a, I'm impressed. It was a, Peter had a deep sense of his unworthiness and who it was that was standing before him, the divine origin of the power that he just displayed in this miraculous catch of fish. And Peter is worshipping. As on other occasions, um, the response of the Lord Jesus to that was different to what we see later on in the New Testament when the apostles were occasionally confronted with that kind of response. Um, there was um, one example uh, where, where the people are saying the gods have come among us because God enabled the apostles to do a small number of miracles themselves to help endorse the message that they were then um, um, preaching. So they were doing some miracles and people reacted in a similar kind of way. Then they were saying the gods have come among us and the apostles would say, well, no, we're just human beings, just, just like you. 
So their response was actually quite different to the Lord Jesus. Now, the Lord Jesus in his um, humility never asked for worship and um, he never expected it. But when it came, he didn't, um, he didn't refuse it. He didn't, uh, he didn't reject it. Because, as I've already said, the Lord Jesus had a full appreciation of who he was. Again, we're talking about the Lord's big mission today. That's the title for our talk. And we've been thinking about the different clues to that big mission in the passage that we've read in Luke chapter 4 and Luke chapter 5. And this one, I think, is a further one. Peter bowing down and worshipping the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus is not saying, no, I'm just, a, I'm just a prophet. He's not saying that. He's accepting the worship. It's another, another little clue, I suggest. And finally, the final clue, number 7 in verse 10 of chapter 5. He calls his first disciples. Now, without doubt, the cross of Calvary is absolutely key to the message of, of the gospel, isn't it? And it was absolutely key to the mission of the Lord Jesus. And we cannot get anywhere close to describing the enormity of what the Lord Jesus did for us there. And for anyone um, listening to this message on the recording, perhaps, you know, I just want you to know that it is absolutely vital that we all appreciate that when the Lord Jesus died for our sins on the cross of Calvary, when he paid the price for, for what we have done that has offended God in breaking God's law and rejecting God, when the Lord Jesus took all of God's anger, righteous anger for that and was punished instead of you and me, just like the prophet Isaiah had said 700 years before Jesus came into the world, by his wounds we are healed if we believe that message. And that's the, the key thing of the gospel, isn't it? If we, can, if we believe in the Lord Jesus and what he did for us on the cross, we can know the forgiveness of God and a sure place in heaven. That's the good news of the gospel. So the cross is absolutely vital, but the Lord Jesus is calling disciples, and we've read about him calling his very first apprentices, his very first trainees. For what? For the message, for the mission rather, of spreading the message after the Lord Jesus had gone. A further clue to the scope and the scale of that mission that was going to go way beyond the cross and right down to the 21st century where we're still engaged in it today. So seven clues, the seven clues just to remind you that as a reminder of what we thought about. We thought about the mass miracles, that was one clue to the great mission that the Lord Jesus had come with great power comes great responsibility that's um, that's um, we often hear that statement don't we but it's true and with that responsibility with that authority we see in those that great power the Lord Jesus was given the um, the signs that he had a great a great thing to do we thought about the testimony of demons number two we thought about um, number three his own self-awareness of what the demons were saying, that it was true, that he indeed was the Son of God and the Messiah. 
We think of his huge popularity, that was number four, the crowds that followed him, um, hanging on his every word, his words of authority. We thought about the geographical spread and the content of his message throughout the whole region of um, Galilee and Samaria and Judea. Uh, we thought about how um, he accepted the worship of others for those who had discernment as to who he was. And the final thing we thought about was how he has been training. He was training, calling and training disciples during that three years. So seven clues in the passage to summarise then. The Saviour's big mission. That was our, the title for our talk today. Um, it was a mission which, of course, in the planning stage, began before the creation of the world. Isn't it wonderful to think on the fact that God was planning our salvation before he'd even created the world in the first place? But we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. That's what the scriptures tell us. So the planning phase started a long time ago. The implementation phase, we see that throughout the Old Testament. As God revealed more and more about himself and gave more and more prophecies through the likes of Isaiah and, and many others about what he would do in the future, he was laying the foundation for his son coming into the world. So that was the implementation phase, I suggest, if I carry on using a bit of project management language. Don't mind me using that. Then we had the delivery phase, which is what the Lord Jesus was doing throughout his life on earth. And that accumulated in his death and resurrection. So where are we now in the big mission? We're in what project managers call the rewards phase. We're at the point where we can enjoy what the Lord Jesus has delivered and encourage other people to enjoy it too. It's what we call the reward phase. That's, that's our work, if we can call it work, just enjoying what Jesus has done, because he's done all the hard work, and our work is just to enjoy his work and encourage other people to enjoy it too. That's what the Great Commission is all about, isn't it? And I said in that, that opening hymn that we have, that the hymn was probably more, a, a more appropriate hymn to, uh, to finish with, um, but it's about our mission, the mission that he has given us to follow on with. And we get that so very clearly, don't we, in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 28. And I'm going to finish with these words. Matthew 28, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age.